Hello and welcome to this not bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brenda Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Happy 2021. Happy 2021. Is this... Oh, God, yeah, this is our first episode that we've recorded. first episode 2021, In the new year. Holy shit. Yeah, special. I would say it is a bonus just because of that. Yeah. It's a special episode. There's there's something bonus about it. (laughs) It's not a bonus episode, but it is bonus. Exactly. (laughs) I think I was thrown Uh, off because we did the Goaty episode before the end of the year and then had an episode after that in December. Um, Right. But yeah, it's 2021. What did you you do on, on New Year's Eve? Uh, nothing really. I don't even remember, honestly. Not in like a cool I was partying way, but like <laughs> it was just another day in 2020, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely, it was an, I think I, oh, I played, a, I, I did some Jackbox stuff with a group of friends. Oh yeah, me too. Um, That's fun. Yeah, it was a good time. So yeah. I did like a virtual chat. What was nice is that most people in the chat were on the East Coast, so they all did the countdown like at fucking 11, the real time. Did you just go to sleep after that? You were like, cool, I'm, I did it. I did the countdown. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Uh, well, everyone else did. Everyone else like booked it as soon as that happened. I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. Thanks. Uh, but a few stuck around until midnight in Chicago. And that was, that was nice. Oh, so. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good time. Uh, uh, it had a nice night. It still felt special. You know, uh, I think New Year's is, is kind of arbitrary in some ways, but I love the ritual of like kind of being grateful and, and looking back and forward. Like that's all great to me. If yeah. it's an excuse to do that, I'm into it. But, you know, uh, treating years as isolated events could be tricky as well. I agree. Um, yeah. So for some reason, there was this uh, this like nice house I used to go to that uh, my, my friend had. It was like a lake house in upstate New York that I used to go to in high school every summer. And for some reason, whenever I went to that lake house in the summer, that was my New Year's. That mm. was like the moment where I had all the like catharsis and looking backwards at the previous school year and forwards at what might happen in the next school year. Yeah, man. Um, that that was my new year's weirdly enough i had all the feelings i was supposed to have uh and now that i don't go to that lake house anymore i'm unmoored and i've never had a new year since i I just i just float ethereally from year to year um (laughs) there is something anchoring about a lake no nautical (laughs) pun intended like i go i I might go walk away from lake michigan and if i need to like clear my head and like think about the next step baby i just kind of sit by the lake a bit genuinely it's great I, i very much understand that also for you astrology fans out there you guessed it we're entering a new age this year it's every 400 years i think and we're literally entering the age of aquarius which is the song from hair yeah um so i'm into it I, if that's the vibe i'm so into an age of aquarius for the rest of my life yeah it's the age of enlightenment right is what you said i think so it's associated with that aquarius is a weird sign because they're very uh they're an air sign despite the aqua prefix but they are like all about kind of ideas and like the unconscious and sort of uh you know who strikes me as an aquarius this is so my shit um <laughs> yusuke from persona 5 is like an aquarius to me where mm-hmm. he's like very artistic kind of awkward socially but is like kind of operating on a different level than everyone else else and that to me is what an Aquarius is like which is weird because usually air signs are are known for like kind of being socially like amiable and harmonious like a Libra is like let's go mm. to Coachella you know yeah or uh Gemini which you are you are which are very like hi hi which are very social anyway uh I think we're putting off what we are talking about this episode because it's such a big deal and talk about age of Aquarius and enlightenment we are in this episode, the first episode of 2021, are discussing Dragon Quest XI 
S, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch, now on Game Pass. Yeah. Longtime listeners will know our history with this game. I picked it up. I picked it up like raw vanilla Dragon Quest XI pre-S. Yeah. Uh, which in my head stands for Steven, whatever. Uh, Pre-S <laughs> Dragon Quest XI on t- in 2018 when it came out on PS4. Season one of the podcast. Yeah, like literally maybe our first 10 episodes, like really early on. Yeah. Um, and I bring that up specifically because as much as I think we we did a great job with the first season, on a personal level, I had yet to really establish like a rhythm of acquisition for myself. Like there was a little bit of, on my end at least, there was a little bit of a panic in terms of like what to get next and like having something ready for the episode. Now we're very comfortable with like whatever the week was, that's what the episode will be. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. we have our bonuses when we really want to dive deep into something. But like we've done episodes at this point, you know, there are some weeks where like one of us will have played something and maybe the other one hasn't, but we can still make it work. You know, we can still have the conversation. We had a whole episode about you changing your PSN name. Like, we can kind of do... <laughs> Which I still haven't done. But th- <laughs> I will say that recently, you know, New Year, New Me, I, I went on to the PSN thing. Yeah, uh, the Age of Enlightenment. I tried to change my name to the Nintendo Wii U and like right at the last second backed out. It is available. I might still do it. It is the exact amount of characters that is allowed for a PSN ID. <laughs> Uh, the way I can hear you villainously cackle if you pull that off is like, I, it's like it's next to me. It's like it's down my neck. Yeah. <laughs> Nintendo gets a text like, you know, as an individual, like, fuck, we're doomed. The prophecy <laughs> is true. Um, anyway, uh, we talked about this game really early on. I picked it up knowing very little about Dragon Quest, but knowing that as a series, I mean... For those unfamiliar, Dragon Quest is basically to JRPGs what Tolkien is to modern fantasy. Like, we straight up would not have the genre without this series. Right. And as as a really big JRPG fan, ironically, I never played Dragon Quest. Um, despite how big and important it is, it's never really been as popular in the U.S. as it is in Japan. Um, and we've only gotten so many releases here. Um, but Eleven kind of marked, like, one of the... One of the entries that like got a U.S. release and like was marketed at all, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I picked it up. And uh, for those who remember our discussion at that time, I was uncharacteristically kind of ambivalent about it. I liked it enough to bring it up on the show, but I just couldn't really get into it. And I and I and I there's a few reasons for that. I mean, the raw PS4 raw, I should say the original Dragon Quest Eleven version, although raw, I mean, 40 and slip, it does feel unfinished in some ways and we'll get to that later but that version had some notable lack of features um it didn't have the symphonic orchestra which we'll get into uh that the definitive edition has it didn't have some of the like uh gameplay editions and story editions that s had Uh, but it's still a great game and it still came out and people liked it but as someone who was new to that series and didn't really know quite what to expect from like the 11th entry in this beloved series i found it like kind of kind of straightforward um and kind of uninteresting in terms of story and character i liked the presentation a lot like i loved the the 3d interpretation of akira toriyama's art was like incredible like i really liked that that's probably why akira toriyama the uh the creator of the dragon ball (laughs) franchise just for yeah 
yeah and very noticeably his work Mm -hmm. um you know the hero is is like trunks basically yeah but uh anyway i I love i love his style and his his creature designs are so fun they're Um, ridiculous yeah i think he's been around he's been the designer and the artist of the series since the first one if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. it might even predate dragon ball honestly uh i think it was around that time yeah, around the same time, like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I think that's why they brought him on specifically. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, I enjoyed it and we talked about it and I kind of poked fun of the things that like didn't really work for me and just sort of moved on. You know, I was glad I checked it out and I enjoyed elements of it, but it didn't really click. And then the following year in 2019, when season you season two, were, season two, we do one episode per season. That's the rule. One episode <laughs> about this video game per season. I guess so. Yeah. You were really curious about it because at that time you were really trying to get into JRPGs as a genre and you succeeded in that in, in strides. You, yeah. you know, loved three houses. Uh, you played the original and remake of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, you've been really into Final Fantasy XII lately. So it works. That quest has been accomplished many times over at this yeah, point. Our, our unofficial subtitle for season two was the quest continues and that was my ongoing lifelong quest to get into jrpgs after hearing about how cool they were on the (laughs) playground in fifth grade and onward cool yeah uh and feeling like i was missing out uh on (laughs) on the entirety of the genre and i didn't understand why they were cool and good and and eventually i yeah i do think i do think last year was kind of my 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 like realization my age of aquarius my (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got it early. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I played through um, a bunch of JRPGs and had a really good time. And although I would say like Fire Emblem Three Houses is like pretty close to being a JRPG, it's technically a strategy game. But like that is that is probably the one that like, I don't know, opened my eyes to what I was missing, I think. Because um, yeah. I had tried to get into Persona games previously and things like that. And, you know, Final Fantasy was kind of my like... It was kind of my my white whale in a way, you know, that was like kind of like I just want to play the Final Fantasy games because I know that they're great. Kind of like, I don't know, I I was unaware, I think, that Dragon Quest had a longer, more storied history in the genre than even Final Fantasy did. I had always, you know, uninformed, assumed that Final Fantasy was like the end all be all of JRPGs. And it kind of is in terms of like Western appeal and things like that. You know, like in terms of us living in the United States, Final Fantasy was definitely the bigger franchise of the two. But I didn't even realize that like Square Enix as a company is a merger of two companies, one of them being Squaresoft and the other one being the Enix Corporation, which made Dragon Quest, you know, so it's kind of funny that like Dragon Quest came first through the Enix Corporation. Squaresoft was like, we love this. We're going to try and make our own version of this made Final Fantasy. And then the two merged together. And pretty much that company has just cornered the market on whatever kind of jrpg you would want that company makes both of them you know yeah exactly Um, and what i had never realized or what had never occurred to me was that like maybe the reason i am not as big a final fantasy fan is because i would have always been a bigger dragon quest fan Mm, i think is 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 the realization that i've come to recently especially hot on the heels of us talking about skyrim for question mark hours a couple weeks ago uh and and a, a lot of that conversation centering around why did you and i like oblivion so much more or sorry why did we like elder scrolls so much more than the fallout franchise that's what this feels like to me this feels like you know square enix makes final fantasy and dragon quest and and Dragon Quest is my Elder Scrolls. Um, mm. 
So I I have now, uh, you know, that was that that episode was called That Seems Logical. Uh, It came out, I think, (laughs) October 2019, I want to say, which is when I picked the game up initially for the Switch. It was Dragon Quest S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. That was the release on Switch with all of the quality of life improvements with the symphonic music, with the English and Japanese voice cast included, a bunch of extra, you know, quality of life stuff that kind of equates it to like a Persona 5 Royal to Persona five situation even more dramatic i would say yes like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in your case even more dra- yeah, yeah yeah i started playing that in october of 2019 i just finished it rolled the credits this week playing in like short bursts which i'll talk about later what what i will say about this game i think just like top level is like it is probably my favorite game of all time like like very easily i i'm now in what is considered the post game which i now know is like another 30 to 40 hours of video game so i don't know how long that's going to take me to play through but yeah i'm in the post game now i technically haven't finished all of the story but i finished what is considered to be the main story of the game the credits did roll and the game asks you if you want to stop playing it, you know? So, like, I could be done with it if I wanted to be, uh, but I'm not. But that said, <laughs> even even so, even now, the game that I have played is probably my favorite game ever. And I'm very excited to talk about why. Um, so I think that having been said, I'm very interested in your turnaround on this because yeah. so that, that first episode was called Dragon Quest 12. This time is cute. Uh, this time Cubert is in it. And I remember in that episode being really excited to hear about this game because I was still like (laughs) on the edges of wanting to check out JRPGs. And and, um, I I had always assumed that Dragon Quest 12 might be the one. I'm sorry, Dragon Quest 11 might be the one for me. And in that conversation, I think you convinced me out of checking it out on the PS4, which in hindsight was great because then I picked it up, you know, on Switch with the S definitive edition, that whole yeah. Rigmarole. Yeah. So um, I, I'd love to discuss sort of my my new experience, um, but I will kind of backtrack and, and say, like, you know, I had I had my initial kind of like lukewarm experience with the game. I put in like 15 to 20 hours into it. like I got I got relatively far in and, and it did start working for me um, once more characters joined the party. Like I started mm-hmm. to get a little bit more interested in what was happening, but you know, eventually just moved on. I mean, it's with doing this show, especially early on, I found myself having a harder time to stick with one game. Um, I have a much better time now because again, we're more relaxed with our structure. You know, we, we don't have to, we're not beholden to anything right for better and for worse. Like mm-hmm. we can bring up any game any week. You know, we try to have some order in terms of like, what have we already talked about? Um, do we want to revisit this game or do we think we like kind Kind of captured our thoughts the first time you know but i don't i don't feel the pressure that i need to bring a new game every week and buy a new game you know all the time it's not mm-hmm. sustainable so i bring that up because that's kind of where my head was at when i was playing it for the first time and then when we released that episode we put it on ice and then you were really excited about um the definitive edition on switch and you immediately loved it like you immediately were smitten by it in a way that i absolutely wasn't and a lot of people in the discord were also like very, very respectfully, we're like, Steven, like, you really have to give this another shot. Like, this is, mm-hmm. and not in a way of like, you know, sometimes people can kind of force me to, on you in a way that feels weird, where it's like, do you think I would actually like this or do you just want to yell at me? You know, like, <laughs> do, you, do yeah. you think I would actually enjoy the crown or do you just want to like tell me to watch the crown because you're watching it? Right. You know, uh, no shade on the crown. I'm sure it's great. But like, that's, you know, like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you shouldn't watch it, but it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna try a little um, reverse psychology. <laughs> there you go. 
but like you know knowing uh, knowing my interests like i i am a huge rpg fan i'm a huge dragon ball fan mm-hmm. like there's so many reasons why this game should be like absolutely my shit and a lot of people were like you know you've really got to give it another shot like you were just at the cusp of like the game getting really interesting and uh then uh had a, a shortly after we released the uh that seems logical we had a halloween party in 2019 and uh you know costumes are uh, uh, galore. I was not dressed up because I was cranky. I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I I didn't have a costume ready in time, but I was hosting. So I was like in host mode, kind of going around. And uh, my friend, my roommate at the time was like, hey, like you should meet a friend of mine. And I look over and there's someone dressed like Joker from Persona 5. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll bite. So we yeah. talked and uh, we were talking about video games and he mentioned like, have you played Dragon Quest? And I was like, oh, I, you know, I gave it a shot. It didn't really work for me. And he, he like looked like personally offended and was like... <laughs> He's like, I consider that like the peak of the genre. Like, you really have to give it another shot. So, you, like, if if Joker himself from Persona <laughs> Five is telling me to play Dragon Quest again, my my best friend Brendan and the listeners of the show are all like, you really have to give this another shot. I'm like, okay, yeah. fine, I will. At the same time, so I've always been wanting to revisit it, and I and you lo- you alone love it enough that I knew we would eventually do like a proper bonus about it, and I would revisit it, you know, just to have like a talking point about it, and I. I kind of was wondering, I'm like, well, why is this clicking so much more for Brendan than it is for me? I mean, it's worth noting that Dragon Quest, you know, alongside Final Fantasy, whereas Final Fantasy, for better and for worse, every Final Fantasy game is a brand new world, a brand new vibe and tone, completely new battle mechanics with like very (laughs) loosely connecting ideas. Dragon Quest is going to be the same thing every time. Uh, they they know like they want and I mean that as a compliment um, but I think it's also sometimes a point of tension for people where Dragon Quest is very comfortable being like we are going to commit ourselves to this classic experience yeah yeah the, the changes that they make to the Dragon Quest games across the franchise are essentially like we have a job system in one game we don't have a job system in another game this game you're making your own character to play as the hero and this game you're not one of them is an MMO but like also still has the classic Dragon quest combat in the mmo which actually sounds really good and i did download it and i'll maybe talk about it one day uh i had to make a japanese nintendo online account there you go. i'll talk about how weird that is uh playing a game where i don't read i can't read any of it but i sure am enjoying running around in that world but anyway that those are the changes that they make game to game the combat the underlying combat is pretty much always the same but it'll be like little mechanics here and there that they'll switch up um, yeah and i bring that up because i'm like well maybe the reason we had this kind of like I mean, it's all subjective, too. So, like, we don't have to... We don't always like the same stuff. But I'm like, maybe it's landing harder for Brendan because he's, like, newer to the genre. And this is, like, a definitive experience he maybe hasn't had before. Whereas I played a lot of games like this before. Yes. I think that's a really good point. And I think we should double down on that later. Yeah, totally. Um, So, I always wanted to revisit it. But I'm like, do I buy it again? And then also have to catch up to the where the point I was? That was a lot to ask. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, I'd already put in it good amount of time and it already paid full price for it yeah Um, like persona 5 royal i think the s definitive edition like probably should have been dlc that you could pay for if you had already purchased the original because now they've delisted the original from the store like you can't even get the original you can only get s um yeah which is like kind of a bummer i have i have pt dragon quest 11 now um (laughs) but uh yeah, I so they added it to Game Pass, and on my Series S, okay, this feels at the time. So I downloaded it on Game Pass, and I was like, okay, let me give this another shot. And like, 
from from minute one, I have been having a night and day experience. I, I've shared this with you already. In that you have been playing it nonstop, night and day, every day since downloading it. <laughs> yes, I am literally having a night and day experience. But <laughs> the game is working for me on a level that I did not expect. And it has gone from like lukewarm. My, my opinion of the game has gone from lukewarm to like, this is probably one of the best JRPGs of all time. Mm-hmm. And I was a clown for <laughs> saying the things I did. I, I understand why for for the reasons I listed before where I was at with the show. And also that version is inherently not as good. Yeah. Like if only for the music. And I've talked about this a lot, like the, the synthetic orchestra in the uh, vanilla game, while it's okay in moments, it really clashes with the visuals because the visuals are like, and maybe it's less noticeable if you're playing in 2d, but that's not an option in the original either. So you get this like beautiful current gen 3d Akira Toriyama art with like, synthesizer resident evil one music right. and it's like so and the music is such a big part of this game it's always kind of playing in the background it feels like it has the feeling of you know with silent film when when you would see silent film like at the time that silent film was a thing a band would be in the movie theater with you mm-hmm. and they would be playing along to the silent film and that's what the whole game kind of feels like it feels like totally you could almost see the band in the scene like playing along to <laughs> kind of get you in the mood of whatever's happening yeah and you know it feels very like classic and kind of like theatrical in that way yeah and i'll say this just to cut in on that point specifically sure i i think the music is such an integral part to the game that there's a point that i just played and I, i won't give any specifics really but i went and visited a town that i hadn't been to in a long time and when i showed up instead of hearing the music that i would generally hear in that area i heard the battle music playing as i was running around and i was i was like walking towards it and i was like this is weird is the game glitching like i don't really understand and when i opened the doors and walked into the town it was filled with monsters monsters had taken over the town since the last time i'd been there and i was like oh yeah this totally makes sense and i can only imagine what a nightmare that moment would have been with the synthetic (laughs) music because the battle music does not change and i think that's one of the that's one of the critiques that people levy against this game and i think is you know pretty valid which is that some of the music you're gonna hear a lot like a yeah. lot a lot i have been playing for like 60 to 70 hours at this point and and i have heard this battle music for probably like 15 to 20 of those hours it's the same song yeah. and and even even as beautiful as the symphonic version is sometimes it will play during a cutscene that's like very dramatic but you're like you chose this song again yeah. for this moment yeah. you know um it doesn't it doesn't take me out of it the way the synthetic one did or the, the MIDI orchestra did and I like MIDI music like I listen to the original Final Fantasy 7 soundtrack a lot it just yeah. doesn't work in this game no because because I think the visuals are so stunning right and I it's worth noting too in the original I was playing with uh English voice acting and like no shade on the cast I'm sure they're all really great actors but the direction of it was distracting yeah. like it is you know it's written in such a cockney way that like it, it, not knowing what the vibe of the game was or like how it's supposed to feel like I found a lot of the performances like over the top in a way that was taking me out of it and not like immersing me yeah. whereas the Japanese voice acting is like still very fun and theatrical but understated in a way that makes me feel like these are real people and not like absolutely. caricatures absolutely yeah so like I think uh, I 
I think it just, I would highly recommend playing with Japanese voice acting, personally. That and the symphonic orchestra were like two immediately noticeable improvements on my end for like getting into the world. And I think now that I've put in about five times as much time into this game as I originally did, and I'm like <laughs> in what people consider act two, I think what this game is so, if I had to kind of sum it up in a short amount of time, which we won't do given our track record, but you know, if I had to make like a singular statement or, or attempt to, I would say that you know, Dragon Quest, like we said, is this is the series that is really committed to providing a classic experience. And I say classic instead of retro because I think Dragon Quest Eleven, as many retro RPG mechanics are in here, it doesn't feel retro. It feels classic because it's sanding off the edges of like what you would get in a 1990 RPG, but it's giving you what you want from those games. So it's giving you like the big variety of equipment you can find, you know, uh random uh monster battles and and finding items and it's streamlined in a way at least in the beginning where like something that i think is a point of tension with a, with a lot of 90s rpgs is just not knowing what to do next like straight up like needing a guide yeah to i mean I love Final Fantasy VII, but like you cannot get through that game now without a guide of some kind. In Dragon Quest XI, like it, it so clearly marks where you have to go next, but they always give you like a little bit of room. Like you know, there will literally be like a road to your destination, but you might go off the road and find like a treasure chest, and it's like just enough deviation in the beginning where you're rewarded for thinking outside of the box, but it's not. You're not given so many options that it's overwhelming, and the game gradually increases that freedom. Where like in the beginning, it's like, okay, do you go off the road? And then eventually it's like, now you have a boat and you can sail anywhere. And we're telling you where to sail next, but you can actually go to any port you want. You also get a spell called Zoom, which I'm obsessed with <laughs> because the mage in your party is like, yeah, just like think of a place and say Zoom and you'll be there. I'm like, incredible. What an incredible <laughs> spell. Um, I think that this game, you know, sets it up as like, okay, this is a very kind of familiar classic experience and then it slowly this game in particular i think slowly deviates from that both mechanically and narratively in a way that makes both the battles and the story really compelling at a certain point they're always fun i will say like if you're picking this game up for the first time until you get maybe the third or fourth character the battles are going to be real simple like it's really going to be hitting attack and you know watching a platypunk die like that's going to be what's going to happen I knew from my ex from my experience, be it lukewarm with the original, that the combat was going to get more interesting. But I didn't know that it was going to get even better after that. At a certain point, there's a boss where it kind of teaches you like, okay, you actually have to be thinking about buffs and debuffs and like really think about how you're building each character. Um, there's a really wonderful way of leveling up the characters that's literally a sphere grid or almost like the license board in Final Fantasy 12 mm -hmm. where like there are you know different skill trees and um, you know different weapons will let them do different abilities and they'll have like an innate tree that's like you know them as a character so like Eric is a thief you know the mage characters have their own thing I really like that and I think that even in the beginning where the combat is a little bit simple just looking at that license board or that sphere grid makes you excited for what's to come next you're like oh shit there's a lot going on here that i have yet to see and to internalize so yeah i am 
in short, like I am loving the combat. I this game makes grinding fun. I don't think you have to grind a ton, but bosses are always a little bit harder than you think they're gonna be. So I've enjoyed like just kind of letting myself kind of you know relax and just kind of explore a dungeon and fight monsters. Battles are over really quick, which I think is what makes grinding not feel tedious. Like yeah. they're over in a few attacks, unless you're like really under leveled, which you won't be. Yeah, yeah. I I find that grinding is a thing that you don't really need to do a whole lot but I have also like you found myself doing like I'll just throw on a podcast and like go into a dungeon I've already cleared and just like have yeah. some fun like fighting stuff and seeing one of the one of the like tentpole things about this franchise is every once in a while you'll see metal versions of enemies that would normally mm-hmm. be in certain places and if you can kill them before they run away you get like a ridiculous amount of experience so just like going into a dungeon where I know like there might be a metal enemy and just like running around and listening to a podcast until I find one and level up my whole party in one fell swoop like that's fun I have a good time doing that and I don't really mind yeah. doing that but I also don't think I needed to and and again I'm talking about like the main game you know acts one two three and then the credits roll like that's I, I didn't really need to grind the entire time uh, what I will say, though, is it's kind of interesting because I've been playing um, with my partner, uh, Persona 5 Royal, and we just got past what you considered to be the hardest boss in the game. And and that boss in particular, uh, I won't say who it is or their whole deal just for spoiler reasons, but their whole deal is like that fight is going to take a really long time. It's going to be like a kind of war of attrition situation and and your teeth are going to be clenched the whole time. I didn't really feel that at all in Dragon Quest 11 until the like final three to four hours where some of yeah. those bosses towards the end are just like so brutally difficult. I didn't lose. I'll say that much. I, I didn't die. Uh, I didn't have to like restart those fights, but it was really dicey. And it was the first time where I I really had to think like, okay, I, I have to be applying strategy, like real strategy. I can't yeah. just like use my best abilities on all my characters and like right, right. Hope, hope that I survive. So up until that point, it was pretty easy. And I didn't really mind that because it was just like a fun time. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about like my experience playing through this game for an entire year later. But that said, the post game is brutally hard like yeah really difficult once you get past the credits and you start doing the stuff in the end game like i think you will have to grind battles do take a long time and every boss has been like the final boss of the main game it's rough but also i've played enough of the game now that i like know my way around the combat enough that i feel like that entire first game was like prepping me for the next game, uh, which in a way I think is now prepping me to play other JRPGs and enjoy them in a way that I hadn't previously, uh, which I think is really exhilarating in a way. This is like almost a JRPGs 101 video game where like by the time you're done playing through all of it, you could play any JRPG and have a good time probably. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, I... I'm just loving it. I'm loving it on a level I did not expect at all. Um, I went from thinking these characters were kind of like boring archetypes to like loving them and would die for any of them. I've drawn them. Like mm-hmm. I I am so much more invested. And I do think the story like I, without spoiling it, and we'll probably do a spoiler episode at some point once we're like both done with it, um, which is probably like next week, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think that the story takes a very interesting uh step after the first act um, yes. that's all i'll say is like 
And I think it is really, um, it almost feels like this game is, even though it's it's still Dragon Quest and still doing what that series does well, I think it is taking a few lessons from Final Fantasy in terms of like, you know, if, if, if one series is all about like trying out new stuff, even if it turns out awful, and Dragon Quest is like, we're going to do the tried and true formula and like, you know, we know what you want and we're going to kill it. Mm-hmm. It feels like the first act of Dragon Quest Eleven is Dragon Quest, and then the second act is Final Fantasy, where like it suddenly yeah. takes a leap in a direction that I think really pays off, and I think also makes these characters feel much more fleshed out. I I think it is incredible, and I think I, by the end, I think I'll be right there with you, um, where it will be one of my favorites, definitely a favorite of the show. You know, I know we've kind of played it outside of like you know the Goaty season and stuff, but um, I think you can definitely mark it in like favorites of both of ours in the show somewhere and yeah. whatever pantheon exists I, yeah i think it was the game of the year episode last year where when we were done like going through the top tens or like our individual top tens and stuff i was like if i could include dragon quest 11 yeah this would have been my game of the year um yeah because i i Every year that I'm playing Dragon Quest Eleven, it's my favorite game of the year. Uh, I think I much. still would have gone with Three Houses, but I mean, this is like it's a very different experience, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Like, I think Three Houses is, and I, this is what I said. What I thought I felt before playing it again was that I was more interested in where RPGs are going versus mm-hmm. where they've been. And I still think that's true, but I do think that there's a lot to really admire in this game for the, the, the quote I keep thinking of, which is from the Great British Bake Off. Paul Hollywood will often say, if you're going for the basics, it has to be perfect. And like <laughs> that to me is what this game is. It's like the perfect basics, you know, yeah. like they are. It is really hard to do something this simple so well. You know, like having a cast where it's like, here's the thief, here's the princess, here's the sage and have them all be interesting. Yeah. Have a story where, you know, you are the chosen hero and, you know, with this sword, you'll and it's almost like it's almost like those archetypes are set up based on where the story goes. You know, it's it's almost like this game is like. It shows a mastery of storytelling and like uh, on a certain level, human emotion that I think a lot of games don't have where they Dragon Quest 11 is literally just like we're going to give you everything you want. And we also know at times that what you want is a subversion of a thing that you think you want. Yeah. Which like sounds I don't know, that sounds very like chaotic coming out of my mouth, but is very much how I feel about playing through this. I talked about it a little bit, I think, in the in the last episode that we talked about this game. Um, but just like on a high level, I think the easiest thing to say is like the thing that happens in the first hour of the game, which is like you find out that you're the chosen hero. You're called the luminary. Uh, and, and your mom is like, OK, well, now that your powers have like materialized and this like brand on your hand has lit up and a big bolt of lightning came down from the sky, like we know that it's real. So take this pendant and bring it to the king and tell the king you're the luminary and you know a bunch of incredible stuff is going to happen it's like oh cool i finally get to go on my adventure they give you a horse you leave your main town uh and you head off to what is essentially like hyrule castle to go meet the king um yeah and you go into the into the city and it's huge and beautiful every town in this game is gorgeous and you could just spend like a whole hour walking around that town and talking to everybody and seeing everything and doing side quests and things like that or you could just gun it and go right into the castle and go talk to the king and you go talk to the king and you and you know immediately you show the pendant and you're like i'm the luminary and and the uh the guards outside of the gate just laugh at you yeah i love that i love that moment they're like hey shake my hand mate that's like the best joke i've heard all week you know like Uh, that that one 
one moment, not, not to cut you off, but that one moment, I think, weirdly is microcosmic of the game where it's like, mm. you know, the game itself is laughing at the idea that you're just going to waltz into the castle and begin your journey. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, come on, man. Like, we're, this is not an actual this is not how the world works, you know? Yes. Uh, and then you pull the pendant out and you show it to the guards and they're like, oh, shit. OK, yeah, come on in. And, and you go <laughs> in and you immediately have an audience with the king. And I, I didn't know this because I hadn't done this on my first playthrough. Uh, but I'm now playing the game again on our uh, Twitch channel and on our YouTube, which you can you know go check out link in the show notes, whatever. But in the first hour of the game on stream, I went and like checked out the other like uh, living quarters in the castle, and it's a bunch of people who had audiences with the king who were like, "Why the fuck did he cancel our appointment? Like, who is more important than me? It must Ooh. be another king coming to visit," which is very good. But That's anyway, cool. you just walk right into the throne room, uh, and you know the king's guards are all there, uh, and he's like, "Oh my god." This is incredible. The luminary is here. Fine, like hundreds of years have passed since the last luminary was born. This is amazing that I get to be alive and I'm king when the luminary is here. This is so incredible. Throw him in the dungeon and kill him in three days. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, dude, what the fuck? So immediately yeah. the game is kind of subverting it. And, and the idea is essentially, as with all stories like this, because you exist, you're the luminary, you're the chosen hero of legend. That also means that there's like a chosen villain of legend. It's very Legend of Zelda, right? Like there's going to be yeah. a Link, there's going to be a Zelda, there's going to be a Ganondorf at all times, uh, Man, Lighthouse, City, whatever. Um, <laughs> God. And... and and that's your new yes and I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to like make me squirm. So the king's idea is essentially, well, you know, you're the luminary. You're the chosen hero of legend. If I kill you, that also means the chosen villain of legend will die because one can't exist without the other. So he's like, I'm just going to I'm going to cut your head off in three days. And that's how the game starts. That's like the first hour of the game. And even that by itself was enough for me to be like, OK, this is not a paint by numbers JRPG yeah, scenario. Definitely. Although it has a lot of the basics and a lot of the like old standards of things that you would expect from having played other games like this uh, even outside of the JRPG genre things like Zelda for example the game is self-aware enough to know when it should take a left turn instead of going straight you know absolutely that's a great way to put it and I think too, like, yeah, you're right that it is, it is foreshadowed that it's going to eventually become more interesting. You know, like you're given certain quests after go to the castle that, you know, might play out a similar way where it's mm -hmm. like, this isn't just going to be me being handed the master sword. I mean, even in, um, it's similar without spoiling, it's similar to Ocarina of Time when it's like, gather these stones and you'll get the master sword, mm -hmm. you know? And like. What happens after that is kind of a similar idea where it's like you can't just expect things to go that way because the game is telling you to do it. You right. know? Yeah. A lot of act one is go collect the eight MacGuffins, which are like actual literal <laughs> crystals that are all different colors. And when you combine them, it'll do like an amazing thing. You know, like that is the first act of the video game. Right. And what ends up happening in that act is like you just get really endeared to the setting. Like this game does such a good job making you fall in love with the world. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the feeling I got uh, navigating the world map in FF7 where you're just going to the, all these very like vibrantly different towns and like yeah you're getting a flavor of the world for then when things are higher stakes, like you actually want to save the place. You know, it's not just like I say the day, like you feel <laughs> like you have lived there and gotten to know all these people. And right. like you spent four hours in the casino. 
<laughs> you know me. But um, I think what also helped, and this is, I'm such a sucker for this, and I wish more games did it. Um, the fact that like at any time you can just talk to your party mates and they'll like kind of give you hints as to where to go next or maybe give you hints to available side quests. But like being able to like talk to them anytime or set up camp and they're all just kind of hanging out and you can talk to them there too. Like, yeah, that to me makes the adventure feel bigger. You know, it, feel, totally. it feels like having that kind of downtime with them. It's not on a persona level where you're going to have like these intense, you know, heart to hearts about like your repressed id and like what you can do better <laughs> as a person. But like it gives you enough of a moment of intimacy with these people that you feel like a really strong bond in the yeah. ensemble. There are people Especially with once thoughts you have everyone. about their surroundings yeah. and environment and and the things that are happening to them. And and they they yeah. will talk about them at every moment. You know, like you could yeah. you could play the game for five minutes and then go save somewhere else and then you know turn it off and turn it back on and go talk to them and they will all have different things to say about where they are now and what they've seen in the past five minutes. The the amount of writing in this game is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it is yeah, it is just like mountainous what the script must look like for this game. Oh, yeah. And that's not even to mention the fact that every time you save the game and turn it off and turn it back on again, one of your party members will remind you what you did in the last session that you played through the game in like actually well written like prose essentially. Yeah, that's something every RPG should have. The last that's something I even loved in the vanilla, like the last time on Dragon Quest. Yeah. So so often you'll pl- like with games like this that require like a lot of time, like chances are you will be really into it for a while and then you might put it down for like a long time. Yes. And then want to come back to it. And the biggest point of tension is like if you go if you come back to Final Fantasy seven, you might just turn your game on and you're like in the middle of the world map and right. had no idea where you were or what you were supposed to be doing. You've got a submarine and an airship. And you're like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no idea where I was. So I can't even look up a guide because I don't know what what was before or after this. Yeah. Whereas this game is like, okay, so last time you met a mermaid and then, you know, there's a big octopus and Eric is pissed about it. And here we go. (laughs) Right. And then at any point, again, you can bring up the party menu and talk to everybody in your party. uh, And they will also remind you little bits and pieces of what had happened prior to that and where to go next. Um, So even if that like opening screen doesn't clue you in enough, you could still talk to everybody individually and find out. I also appreciate that they all have very different perspectives too. like Eric is the uh, is your first party and is is the thief character and he's like a little bit rough around the edges and usually will be a little bit more cautious than some of the other people will whereas like uh you know other characters might be a little bit more gung-ho about doing certain things or you know have their own personal connection to the land like there's a party mate who um in the point of the story i'm in will like often recall like what his childhood was like in certain parts of the world and it might not it might not even be in like the main quest but i might have used zoom to go play at the casino again and then camped outside and he was like man like I remember what this area was for me as a kid like it's crazy we're here now stuff like that I think does so much to endear yourself to the setting and it really is like with the symphonic orchestra and with all that's happening in this game it kind of has swept me off my feet in a way of like turning on Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind or like Castle in the Sky does where it's like just so majestic and so easy to get caught up in I do think even with everything that's glorious in the definitive version, I do think that there's a certain RPG fan who might play this version and still kind of feel the way I did the first time where like, if you're a little bit skeptical or a little bit cynical about the sort of approach to the classic formula here, you might be like, I've done this a million times. Like I've played a million games that are like this. Yeah. Like everyone did to me. 
if anything about the game is working, I implore you to stick around. As someone who was also a pre-Ghost Visit Scrooge about Dragon Quest, <laughs> I implore you to stick around because uh, it is becoming one of my favorite games uh, in real time. Um <laughs> It is incredible. It is uh, heartbreaking. It is heartwarming. It is relaxing. It can be exciting too. Like in the, in the first part of the story, it felt like the perfect winter game. So I'm like, this is so chill. I can just like yeah. do whatever. And it still is. But now the plot is at a point where I'm like now just invested in kind of like a time skip three houses way where I'm like, I just can't put this down now. Like I need to know what happens next. Yes. So yeah, it's a good video game. I would give it 10 stars. And uh, <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm so happy I gave it another shot. And I think it's also like, I think in doing this show, a pitfall for both of us is to play a game and to think we can kind of make a definitive take on it right away. Like we're not, we're only sharing what we think and what we think is exactly what that is. Right. It's not a declarative statement yeah, for it's, anyone it's mutable. except yeah, It could change at any moment, yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's, I've, I have yet to experience uh, playing something and feeling one way and then com like almost completely 180ing in, upon revisiting it, yeah. uh, which is like kind of surreal. We, we talk about the idea of revisiting games a lot and there are very few times where I think we actually do in a lot of instances. And I, I like that this is a game that has come up multiple times and will continue coming up uh, yeah. until we're like done, done with it. Um, which, you know, who knows how long that's going to be. I have a question. Do you want to take a break and then come back and probably talk more about this video game? Because I have a bunch more that I want to say about it. But we've been Please, talking for yeah. almost an hour at this point. Uh, no, that, sound, that sounds perfect. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Okay. Well, see you soon. So long. Steven, we are back. I want to talk a little bit about my experience playing this game over the course of a year and how yeah, please. I would recommend people who are maybe ambivalent to check it out, but are maybe a little bit interested, end up checking it out and why. So I'll just say up front, one of the things that I was told about these games, um, told via watching a YouTube video, is uh, Tim Rogers, when he was working at Kotaku, did two videos about this game, one of them for the original and then one of them for the definitive edition when it launched on Switch. And in both instances, talked about how a this is the best dragon quest game to start with if you are new to the franchise and are interested in it and have never played it before um b that this was his favorite after playing all of them throughout the entirety of his life which i thought was very interesting and and uh the third thing which i think was the most important was that most people when they play these games when they come out like if you are a person who's played them you know for a long time the move is and the reason they tend to release them portably and not on home consoles uh these days is that you're supposed to like play it in bed for like a half an hour to an hour before you go to bed so like you know you like take a shower you know or a bath or whatever before you go to bed and then you cuddle up with your switch or your 3ds or your game boy uh and you play dragon quest which i think personally having now done that for over a year is the actual definitive edition of the definitive edition <laughs> of dragon quest 11 s definitive edition uh -huh. this game is essentially what i would consider to be just like uh i don't know 60 to 70 half an hour episodes of an incredible anime uh, written yeah. and directed by Akira Toriyama and Yuji Horii, um, who is the creator of the franchise. 
this game is broken up into what essentially feel like little bite-sized episodic chunks, I think. Totally. Um, yeah. And although we've been talking a lot about like the act structure of this, I think it's even up in the air, like what constitutes an act in this game. It's pretty easy to tell what act one is because of the way it ends. And again, we won't talk about it. <laughs> you basically see curtains closed. You're like, oh, wow. They just sang one day more, didn't they? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah a- act one is pretty definitive. But that said, I do think that if you were to play this game in little bite-sized pieces over the course of a long period of time, it would essentially just equate to like uh, the perfect fantasy bedtime story. It, it almost feels to me like uh, the Princess Bride turned into a video game in, in, in feeling, not in content, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I just want to say that like having played it that way, I don't know if I'll play any other Dragon Quest game any other way from this point on. But I think when you started playing the game on Xbox and like texting me about it, it like supercharged me. It like filled up my pet meter. Yeah, uh, you were filled with pep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was immediately like, I need to just finish this game because I know I'm getting close to the end. Uh, and I just like dove back in for the past week. I've been playing for like hours a day, pretty much until I got to the end. And, and now it's great. Uh, and I'm in the post game. But I do want to talk about for people who are like maybe ambivalent about jumping in. These are the reasons that I would recommend checking this game out. And this is not me trying to pitch the game to you, but I think this is more of like a if you have these concerns about it, I think the game has answers to those concerns. So number one, I think a thing that always kind of turned me off, even like back in the day about like the Pokemon franchise was this idea that you were running around the overworld at any moment, the screen might flash white and then you'd have to fight a random battle. I do not find random battles to be very fun. I think that they are kind of like the antithesis of fun in a lot of instances, because if (laughs) if I'm going from point A to point B and my user expectation, like not even like game player expectation my user expectation as a person using a piece of software is that i can run from point a to point b and see the thing at point b but i have to stop multiple times along the way and that'll take me maybe two or three times as long as i want it to that is not a good user experience and that is not fun this game has all the enemies floating around in the overworld and you can at any point run around them and avoid them all as you and i were talking about there's not a lot of grinding that you need to do in this game at least in the like main story quest so you could avoid most of the enemies and really not grind at all and just like fight bosses um i think the bosses will be harder by the time you get to the end if you don't grind literally at all i think it's worth fighting because it's fun but that said you can avoid all the enemies and I think that's awesome. I think that's incredible. If you are a person who thinks that that sounds too easy and you are like a longtime JRPG person, there is a thing called Draconian mode right at the beginning of the game when you first start your save file. That's like a whole list of options that you can turn on that'll make the game harder. One of them is I think it's just like you get less experience from easy enemies um, and easy enemies will be harder also. And from what I've heard and from what I've read online, I've done like a lot of research about the changes that these options make. That mode is like what people consider to be the definitive Dragon Quest experience for like longtime Dragon Quest players who like really know the ins and outs of the combat and how it works. Um, Because the combat, again, has not really changed much since like Dragon Quest 1, essentially. So if you are like a long, long, long time player, uh, that is a good thing to turn on. But there's also things here and there, like you were talking about before, how you can walk around in a town and talk to people and like sometimes they'll like give you hints as to where to go. One of them is literally like one of the draconian mode settings literally enables a thing that makes the townspeople sometimes lie to you about where to go next. (laughs) Which is incredible. Uh, There's another one that's just called shyness, which just makes it so that the hero is like so shy that sometimes he like won't use an ability uh, when you select it. (laughs) 
And then there's another one called uh, called shy pox, which makes it so your shyness, whenever it happens, can spread to the other members of your party, which is great. So like they have a bunch of options in there for people who like want a more difficult experience. But if not, if this is your first JRPG or if you're like kind of iffy about if you're going to like it at all, I would just recommend going in, you know, without any of those options on. Yeah. Can I can I add something to that real quick? Yeah, please. I, I didn't know that. But just as someone like, you know, I, I play... I played most of Persona 5 Royal on on hard and like I don't go out of my way to have like a like brutal experience but like as someone who's played a lot of RPGs and who has played challenging ones like Persona 3 and older ones that are a little bit more esoteric I think that like the normal uh, heatless experience of Dragon Quest 11 is like a very appropriate level of difficulty yes. I just want to kind of add that addendum yeah. to it too. I think so too I think yeah I think it's fun you know yeah. and that's kind of all that I need because I'm not looking for a, a frictionful experience you no, know, in, I want it to progress. You know, I don't want to be stuck somewhere. Like I've only had a exactly. couple bosses. There are in in my playthrough so far, there were like two bosses that I'm like, oh, these these are hard. Like this is a hard boss fight. Yeah. Uh, one feels like it's very much supposed to be the wall, the boss you fight in uh, uh, Galapolis the first time. Uh, I don't remember what are, it is. I won't spoil, but they're like a soldier with a lot of spells. Oh, yes. No, I do. I do know who you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, that, that fight is... Pr- that's like the first time I like died in a boss fight. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Point taken. I'll use Kabuff. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just wanted to add that because like, you know, it's... If you're in for the Goldilocks, like too hard, too easy. Like the normal game is pretty much... Especially as you play it, it will get more... And I think I don't need it to be hard. I just need it to be interesting. And the boss fights are all interesting. They all require a level of strategy that is separate from the the common lot in the dungeon. Yeah. I, will, I, I won't say where, uh, where I'm at or why I did this or what is happening, but I just fought a boss who every time it's their turn to go, they go three times in a row and their only abilities are a kick that kills one of your party members immediately just by hitting them, uh, putting everyone to sleep or buffing their own attack which is a nightmare. And I fought that boss for like maybe two straight hours this morning. It was brutal. So like (laughs) there are points where the game will get very difficult, uh, but that's usually in the post game from what I've experienced. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, I I will say like as a person who did not really understand how the combat worked for a long time, I found this game to be a very appropriate level of difficulty. And this is coming from someone who also plays pretty much every game that has a difficulty option on easy or story mode. Like every game I play, if it has an easier story mode i will choose that generally a because we're playing a lot of games on the podcast and i want to be able to play as many of them as possible um for as long as possible before we talk about them but you know games like hades or spelunky or whatever uh i will not do that for because yeah i don't know i like those games uh anyway the other thing uh or the last thing that i'll mention uh is this idea of tactics in this game i think it's really interesting so when you're in combat you can change the tactics of each of your party members uh including you including you as the hero um you can change your own tactics and what the tactics are essentially like ai i don't know uh, like orders 
that they would be following right so like kind of uh kind of like gambits in um final fantasy 12 or something like that but even simpler where you could just choose from a list that's like fight wisely which is like yeah you should attack when you can but if somebody needs to be healed you should heal them there's another one that's called focus on healing which does what you'd think it does there's another one that's uh show no mercy which is like use all of the magic you have you know use all of your abilities like just do damage is the only thing i have you in here for there's another one called mix it up which is just like i think completely random um, and then there's another one which is called follow orders and that's if you actually want to choose every attack and every ability that that uh that that character uses you can do that also and i have found those to be extremely useful a to just like make combat go faster in some instances it's like kind of fine when you're just like going around in the overworld to just like have a bunch of tactics on just because you know you're probably not going to die fighting a low-level enemy like outside of the gates of like the starter town um but <laughs> that help, said, help me <laughs> yeah when you're fighting bosses and stuff and like you actually need to employ strategies it's helpful to then you know throw uh, you know your party members in and have all of them set to follow orders or maybe just your healer set to focus on healing or something just so you know like okay i'm using what i deem to be the like optimal moves for this fight uh you know if there's a certain strategy that needs to be employed i fought a boss recently that uh, needed to be killed with a certain kind of spell like they needed to be killed with a certain kind of spell so it was about like whittling their damage down to be low enough to the point where i needed to use a certain element uh to kill them um and like that could not have been accomplished with any of the tactics on that was a situation where i really needed to have everybody on follow orders to make sure i didn't kill the thing because i did beat the boss two times without using that spell and it was extremely frustrating Um, oh my god so just like a heads up that although tactics will take you i think through most of the game if not all of it once you get into the post game you'll probably need to learn how to use follow orders because you had talked about how you were using follow orders for everyone pretty much at all times um and i was like in the end game uh, already and was like let me try that because i was using tactics pretty much the whole game except for hero who i was using follow orders on and uh and boy is there a little bit of a learning curve there i think because <laughs> a lot of the spells are named like kaboom it's like what does this actually do yeah. you know there's like sap uh, and sapple and like yeah. sap is like okay so you're gonna uh drain the defense of one enemy and sapple is like we're gonna drain the defense of a lot of enemies at once um kabuffle. But like the, yeah kabuffle yeah that, that, like that's how they name all of those things yeah no i i mean it's it's weird because in in the persona games like in persona 3 uh at least in the ps2 version all your party mates are ai controlled like by default you can't control them but you yeah. can give them tactics which, which is kind of fun and there's strategy around that but i generally prefer the direct control across the board because like i think there's like i never found I, I guess like again for for pacing and for just kind of going through random encounters i think it could be more seamless but yeah i just i prefer the nuance of like being able to tell everyone exactly what to do and also learning what their like powers are yeah um, so. i do find that i will switch up my lineup and my tactics a lot throughout mm. the course of play like there are a lot of like you and i were talking recently about who makes up our party and i don't really have a very easy answer because my party changes pretty much constantly depending on the kinds of things i'm going up against um yeah. and also in that i have changed my tactics up like mid battle before where like i have had a person that i had on show no mercy for a while until they got like close to uh the end of their mp bar 
and then switch them to follow orders so I could like, you know, just use things that I felt were optimal. I, I find that I have like a pretty even mix of like tactics and follow orders on certain characters for certain fights uh, in time. So like the game has that kind of, you know, minute micromanagement yeah. if you want it. But also if that kind of uh, thing seems daunting to you, you could use tactics for like pretty much the first 60 to 70 hours of the game and like be fine. Yeah, totally. That's a great, that's a great way to, to put it. So what were the other reasons? So you had your list of uh, like, if you're on the fence about this game, that was pretty much it. Yeah. It's just like, you can oh, avoid okay. enemies if you want to. Uh, there are harder difficulty options. If this sounds too easy for you, uh, you could, you could play the story in like bite sized episodic chunks if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Um, the grinding, if that's a thing that seems, you know, like boring or whatever, isn't super necessary. And then there's the whole like tactics versus follow orders uh, dynamic, which I think is um, just like the last cog in the machine of like making this a game for everybody. Oh, um, yeah. I totally I think agree. Great. I think the episodic stuff is really important. And like making this game like a positive ritual is really nice, especially in the winter, like in yes. the post holidays winter where it's like, mm -hmm. OK, this is just, you know, the days are getting longer, but it's still very much a quarantine winter so i'm gonna play a lot of <laughs> dragon quest 11 yeah um yeah i i've been i've been loving it i mean i'm definitely like not doing i i did that weirdly i did that in the vanilla one i would play it for like a little bit late at night and then go to sleep but now that i'm like loving it i'm i'm doing the traditional steven binge right it's like yeah kind of i consume it like kirby and i look like it now you know like that's kind of <laughs> where i'm at i have eric's hair and you know just having a great time yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think this world is so charming and so wonderful to be in. And and a lot of that, as you said, is aided by the music. But like it is a place that I want to go to all the time. You know, oh, yeah. it is like I left it on just for the music, which is something I would not have guessed I would ever do based on the original. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I like the theme that plays when you're on the boat, like I've just left that on while I, you know, work or, or do drawing or whatever. Like, it's really great. It's a really great thing to have on. Yeah. So yeah, now now that I'm like getting towards the end of the game, I, I think my my mindset is pretty much like, okay, what's next for me as a person who really liked this game? And like the first answer, you know, obviously is finish the post game, which I'm you know well underway at this point, and is shocking. There's been some discussion about it in the Discord recently about how divisive the post game is, and I'm not going to say anything about it outside of it asks you to make a yes or no decision that caused me to like get up from the couch and like pace around and call my friend and like <laughs> find out if this was like a bad choice to be making or not which is interesting so i'm excited for you to get there because i think i think you're, you're also gonna get up from the couch and call me when you get oh, yeah. to that I'm, point i'm very emotional about this kind of stuff yeah, yeah i will i will write you a letter it's a it's a tough decision um yeah. i understand why it's so divisive i am i am on the side of thinking that it is uh, an extremely bold move that is so far paying off but i could see it not in the long run and we'll talk about why at some other point uh maybe in our bonus episode mm. but that said you know so i i'm playing the post game i've also started the game from the beginning again on the xbox uh so i can stream it for twitch and youtube which i've done the first episode of as of our recording this but i have also now kind of like put some tendrils out into the world and like checked out some other stuff so i have dragon quest 5 because i think one through seven through six or seven are available on ios which is pretty wild uh, and android so you could just like go download those and some of those are the definitive versions of those games from what i understand four on the phone is actually the best version of four which is that's wild. Amazing. So five I've heard is really good. So I'm playing five a little bit at the moment, just like seeing if that's the next one I'm going to go into. 
eight was kind of like the biggest i th- from what i understand and you know this might all be wrong i just want to be very clear um but from what i understand eight was like the biggest hit in the west um when it came out it was it was the one for 3ds um it came out on ps2 originally and then eventually got remade for 3ds uh which seems to be like the one i talked about this i think in one of our previous episodes but it's worth reiterating that there was a, an e3 interview a long time ago with reggie fils when he was still president of nintendo of america uh and somebody was like reggie what do you have on your 3ds and he opened up the 3ds and it was the like load your save screen for dragon quest 8 and he had played like five to six hundred hours of that game. <laughs> and and I was like, I didn't even know that this guy actually played video games in real life. I thought he was just like the face of Nintendo of America. But it turns out he loves Dragon Quest. And I and That's from amazing. that moment on, I was always like, I want to check this franchise out. Yeah, um, yeah. It just seemed fascinating to me. Uh, so I just downloaded that uh, this morning. So I'm really excited to check that out and see if that is. Like I will probably get one. that, too, honestly, because yeah. that's um eight, yeah, like you said, eight was the other big hit. And uh, yeah, I did read. It seems like the only one you could probably skip at this point is like one, you know, like the first like two or maybe like I've heard either six or seven is like actually like people are like, that's a bad one. Like there's a there's a bad <laughs> one in, in the six to seven sphere. I don't know which one it is. And then 10 is an MMO that is only available in Japan, uh, but has right. been out for a long time, uh, which I have downloaded on my switch. Yeah. And is an interesting experience. I, I would be prepared for like, you know, the the first handful to to have maybe the like like rougher edges of like a 90s JRPG. Yeah. Uh, whereas 11 is like very, I mean, I think it seems like a common consensus that 11 is the, is the entry point, you know, yeah. for, for new fans, which yeah. is, you know, I think us, we are both evidence of that. Yeah. One to three are also available on the Switch. It's worth noting. Uh, as oh, of our cool. recording this, they're like deeply on sale as well. I think the first I might one is like... I get them. Yeah, yeah, I think the first one is like three bucks, which is awesome. So yeah, I'll probably get them also if I'm being totally honest. I just kind of want to check them out. I'm just like curious now, especially to see because like if the combat actually has been the same for every entry, that's pretty shocking. There are some things that I think could be improved about this game. They're, they have said that they're working on 12. They've been working on 12 since I think 2018. Um, oh, like wow. pretty much right when uh, 11 came out in 2017 you know they i think started working on definitive edition and 12 simultaneously so it's been in the works for a while and this year is the 35th anniversary of dragon quest like as a franchise and they've said they have like quote unquote big plans uh which is fun so i'm I'm interested to see how that materializes you know sometimes you know like uh what was it Ko- uh kojima studios recently said that they had big plans for their like five-year anniversary of kojima studios uh and they had like a big live stream and it ended up being a, a desktop wallpaper for your computer um <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was hilarious so who knows how this could materialize um but i would love to see you know like the the dragon quest 8 3ds game show up on switch or like any other one honestly show up on switch if 10 got localized for the united states uh that'd be great because like having an mmo on switch would be cool in general oh Um, yeah totally i know there are some out there like warframe is one that a lot of people are into i did not really like warframe very much personally but war uh, face war face though i can get into free to play (laughs) call of duty ripoff um, anyway, yeah, I would love to see Dragon Quest X localized uh, so I don't have to play it while holding up the Google Translate camera uh, in front of my TV at all times, uh, which is a really bad way to play a video game, if I'm being totally honest. That reminds me, um, our, our mutual friend Andreas, he grew up in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he went to a school that was like kids from all over the world. So he didn't know any Japanese really, even though he like grew up there. Oh, wow. But he, he and his brother got Majora's Mask like when it came out in Japan and like 
played through Majora's Mask in Japanese, not knowing the language. And I'm like, that's a testament to your brilliance as a child that you could do because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it in English with the guide, never mind the language I didn't understand. And that game in particular is so like purposely disorienting and surreal that yeah. like to play in a different language might actually be how to play Majora's Mask definitively. When you said you got the, uh, the copy of Dragon Quest 10. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like very interested in kind of checking out where this franchise has been. And I'm very interested in where it's going, especially after the success oh, yeah. of Dragon Quest XI. I think I, there there seem to be a lot of directions in which the game could go. Um, you know, knowing now that they've brought in a lot of new fans through eleven, like are they going to just try and do eleven again for twelve? That was not that was not a reference to uh, <laughs> the other plug? TWG podcast eleven again. But you should go check that out at eleven again. What online. if what if Percy is secretly just making a Dragon Quest show about Dragon Quest eleven? I would lose my mind. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it is worth mentioning that they're working on a Majora's Mask episode right now. Oh, I'm so excited for that. It's fun. Uh, Anyway, so, yeah, I I think the the one thing that I want them to change more than anything else, honestly, and we've we've been saying this since literally our first episode of this podcast, but every JRPG, every turn-based combat game should have a turn order visible on the screen somewhere. Yes, It's the one thing I wish was in this game that is not currently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that hasn't, because Octopath did it. Uh, I think you can see the next turn in Persona, but even then it's not visible. Autopath does it brilliantly. Yeah, it it should be the norm for sure. I totally agree. Yeah, it just it just feels like the next step for that genre. And that is like literally the one change I would make to the way combat works. Because I I, one of the things is like so um, in Final Fantasy, for example, you get limit breaks by having like a limit meter that fills up over the course of play. And then, you know, you watch the, the thing fill up. And when it does, you get to do a big limit break move and it's exciting and cool. In this game, you get what's called pep power, which happens completely at random uh, to varying members of your party. Uh, And it seems like there are certain things here and there that can trigger them in certain ways. Um, And nobody really knows for sure what those are, like what what the number generators behind the scenes are that cause that to happen. I I don't think that I would ever want that to be shown to me. I don't think I want that as like that's always exciting. Yeah. It's so thrilling when fate just happens to roll the dice uh, and and ends up with three of your party members having pep at the same time. uh, And then you get to use a big, stupid move. I love God. So when when your characters have pep, they're stronger. And they also, like you said, they have limit breaks, but they also limit breaks with each other. Which is something that depending on um, who else is pepped up. Yuji Hori is the is the designer, right? The creator. Yeah. Um, the only other game that I've played, because you know this is my first Dragon Quest game. I, I was a big Chrono Trigger fan, which in retrospect has a ton of Dragon Quest yeah. DNA in it, even more than Final Fantasy in some ways. Even yeah. though it was like Chrono Trigger was like a was like an all star basketball team of uh, Square Enix people. Yeah, they call it the Dream Team because Akira Toriyama did the art for that, so you know it has that vibe. And I, God, I love the the whole cast of that game is incredible uh yuji hori was the i think just main designer of it and they had the producer final fantasy right so and like, i think the composer for final fantasy at the time also nobu umatsu did some of it and then had to bail and then there was a another uh composer who did the rest but still oh, well. like it, even if he was there for five minutes it, it, he's a he's an icon yeah he's a legend yeah that game is uh, uh i would love to 
talk about revisiting. That's a game that like I think you might like a lot more now that you have Dragon Quest in I you. I think so too. You I've know? actually been thinking a lot about if I want to play Chrono Trigger soon and also like why is that not on Switch? You know, it's just another yeah. like why is this not on Switch situation. It is on the DS situation, if you will. <laughs> The DS port is really good, and obviously you can play that on 3DS. That's the main way I play it, and uh, yeah, um, that that. And then the thing about Chrono Trigger is that it's only like 20 or 30 hours. It's a pretty quick one, so mm, like I don't know you that. can That's knock great. it out pretty easily. And that that to me is also kind of like a fun deviation from like the normal story because it's all about time travel. So like yeah. It it it, it kind of starts off in like an almost modern Dragon Quest way, where it's like, "There's a fair in town, cool," and your friend's like, "I love how that game begins," and your friend is like, "I invented a time machine. Do you want to try it out?" Like, no one is like worried about it or what it could cause. Yeah, well, it's like toy, the whole basically. fair is just filled with her inventions, right? It's like just a yeah. whole bunch of her stuff all over the place. So yeah, like, Luca. It's just like the um, unveiling of her newest thing. <laughs> <laughs> She's wonderful. I love Luca. But yeah, we'll 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 revisit that one day. But the other Dragon Quest game I played was. Uh, I think it was called Dragon Quest Monsters for the Game Boy, which was like a Pokemon-esque game where you, a kid, fell into Dragon Quest and raised monsters like as your own to fight for you. Oh my god. That's it awesome. was a lot of fun, if I remember correctly. It was like all the monsters that you would fight in Dragon Quest, but like as Pokemon, basically. Yeah. Um, That's the thing, is this game has had such like far-reaching um, kind of like ripple-out effects on the entirety of the, the industry. You know, like Dragon Quest, I think... I forget which one it is. It's either four or five allows you to like capture and collect monsters in a way that like eventually just became the Pokemon franchise. Oh yeah. You know, like this, this game has just kind of like inspired so many things that you and I love that it's kind of wild that we hadn't played one of them until now. Yeah. And I'm just glad it's I'm glad it's finally clicking the way it is because I, yeah. you know, I trusted you and I trusted like everyone around me and Joker from Persona 5 telling me like, <laughs> give this a shot, you idiot. Yeah. Like you really have to. Oh, man, I can't believe I didn't even mention this. This is like the biggest thing. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm so excited. Should have put up? this way up front. There's a 10 yeah. hour free demo you can download. Yeah, yeah. At any and point. It carries you can, over the save. Yeah, you can play that. Yes, exactly. You can play the first 10 hours. And then if you buy the full game, whatever you did in those 10 hours will just carry over to the full game. It's brilliant. Yeah. And the reason I remembered that is because there's another tangential thing that like could be checked out next. And I think might be for me because they just lowered the price permanently, which is the Dragon Quest build franchise oh yeah which yeah, totally. also both one and two are available on switch and have 10 hour demos that you can download um Amazing. that work exactly the same way so like that's like a no-brainer for me i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna download that right after we're done recording and, and check that out yeah that's so that that should be the norm honestly and that's kind of like i guess sort of game pass-esque in that way I mean, yeah. there, there is that limitation, but it's, I think that's how demos should work. You know, if the game is ready enough to, to show off that way. Yeah. I think just like in total, just to like put a cap on this whole thing, this is probably going to be the game that I compare like every game to from now on, just the way it makes me feel and the way, uh, I have played it and experienced it and want to continue doing so like maybe forever is, is the kind of thing that like will go down in history for me as like the 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 high bar that every other game or RPG or whatever is going to have to jump over if it wants to like be successful. Yeah. Which is like a tough 
place to be. You know, I, I feel very fortunate in that uh, in the course of doing this show, I have found like three or four games that have made it to my like top five video games of all time list. Yeah, same here. But uh, it does mean that like, you know, when I go check out other JRPGs or other RPGs that people recommend on the Nintendo Switch, I'm just going to be thinking like, this is no Dragon Quest Eleven. You know? <laughs> um, like a lot of people have been recommending uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I couldn't get into it. Remastered. Yeah, which I also couldn't get into. I got it on the Wii way back in the day and like did not enjoy it very much. But I also was not in like a place where I think I would have liked it very much. And I'm wondering now if it might click better. Yeah, um, maybe. But I, I just want more like good ass long RPGs on the Switch. I think that this should be the RPG machine and it seems like it's like flirting with the idea. Like it seems like Nintendo is like almost there and third party developers are almost there. Like we know Shin Megami Tensei 5 is coming out on the Switch potentially this that. year. Yeah. Which is exciting. You know that might get pushed to next year but like could be this year potentially. That's really exciting. It's the whatever anniversary of Persona also. A lot of anniversaries. Age of Aquarius. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Age of Enlightenment for the Nintendo yeah. Switch. Um, I hope so. So yeah I don't know. I would love to see like three get ported over to the switch or something um which you know feels like a a pipe dream but maybe persona three yeah that'd be awesome yeah yeah i mean i i think too yeah it it is per there's something that i think is really nice about long rpgs being handheld going back to what you were saying before about like playing it before you go to bed like you know pokemon dragon quest even persona have like such a handheld vibe mm-hmm. that it feels weird to limit it to a uh, home console like, that's actually one of my problems with persona 5 as a game is that i can't play it handheld yeah like needing to sit in front of the tv for over 100 hours to beat a game does not feel <laughs> as good to me as like being able to take it with me and like play it wherever i want um, what you should do is what i do is just beat it in one night somehow you know (laughs) just kind of condense time to your favor and consume it like kirby yeah i think that's the reason fire emblem three houses worked so well for me was that i could just like bring it around with me uh around yeah i think it definitely helped i mean that was god that was uh talk about comparing everything to yeah it's interesting to talk about three houses alongside dragon quest 11 because i think three houses is like like you said it's a kind of attack it's like a strategy game mixed with the life sim so it's like definitely a jrpg in elements but it's like kind of a different genre overall but for me is like very like singularly focused on the thing i really love about rpgs and want to see more of and i think maybe in some ways the future of the genre is like this really personal investment in your ensemble of characters and also how your choices affect that you Mm -hmm. know like three houses has like a very almost western approach to like this sort of bioware choice and like the repercussions of like totally your decisions that aren't usually that common in jrpgs whereas dragon quest 11 is like like i said before the perfect basics paul hollywood you know they made a cake exactly as you should make a cake yeah it feels i i hate that i'm making this comparison but i'm gonna make this comparison uh it feels to me like dark souls not in the crushing difficulty or most of the reasons that people generally compare things to Dark Souls, but in the the idea that like Dark Souls 1 when it came out was like a triple A version of a game that would have come out on the PlayStation 1, you know, was like, <laughs> yeah, was yeah. like hearkening back to an age of video games that had like at that point kind of been erased uh, or weren't being made anymore because the, the edges were being sanded off, you know, and there was like this huge desire for a game that had that kind of like crushing difficulty and kind of like you need to look up a guide 
side and like go online and talk to people in forums to figure out what to do next and how to like optimize your character and whatever. This feels like that. This feels like it, they have miraculously made a AAA version using current generation hardware and technology of a game that would have come out on the Super Nintendo. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's an incredible way to put it. That doesn't feel like here's another retro RPG, you know, right, like and right. it does feel like, OK, there's this desire for an RPG like this. The people that created the genre are going to keep doing it and they're yeah. going to get better. It feels like a it, celebration. Like, yeah, it feels like a celebration. It does. It's like, it's like very a, celebratory. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it just putting putting the entire genre on a pedestal and saying like, no, this is this was great and is great and will continue to be great. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. I think it's great. I totally agree. I was going to say the reason and I brought three houses too when you're talking about how you liked it more because it was handheld that's the one time I played a game for so long that my whole arms hurt from holding up the switch <laughs> like I've never had that happen before yeah. where it was like I, oh I've been holding my arms up for 10 hours straight haven't I and that's one uh, of the reasons I think the switch the base switch or like the regular switch is like so incredible is that like when that happens fortunately and unfortunately you can just throw it in a dock and then play it on the couch <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like if you ever get bored of the way you're playing it, you can just swap where you are and how you're playing it. That is the reason I played as much three houses as I did in, in like three days, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But man, I am just to cap it off of my end. I am so grateful that I gave this game another shot. It is yeah. incredible. Um, for new and old fans, truly, it is incredible time. And it's also the perfect season for it. Like I said before, like this winter, it's a great game to kind of like cozy up and experience and you will have a great time. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I do think um, it's probably worth mentioning just in case like this has piqued your interest and you're and you want to check this out uh in any regard now having played the switch version and the xbox version um if you're like if you have both or if you have like a switch and a ps4 and you don't know where to pick it up i would recommend the switch version i think the the graphical updates between the two consoles or between like the switch and uh, the like big HD monsters, I, I think is like negligible enough that having it handheld or being able to play it handheld is probably more important to me personally. That doesn't mean that it's bad on the other consoles. But like if you're trying to make that decision, I think Switch is probably the way to go. But that said, it being available on Game Pass is like a no brainer if you're just like curious about it. Yeah. Um, so like getting the whole game and being able to play it on Game Pass is great. Getting a 10 hour demo and seeing if you like it and then getting the full version on Switch uh, or PS4, I think also has the 10 hour demo. That's also great. They're all great options. You can play it wherever you want. But I think if you if you're coming from a place of like, but which one looks the best? The answer is obviously going to be the PS4 and PS5 and the Xbox line. Um, but you're trading off the, the portability. Now, that said, some people in the Discord have mentioned that they're using xCloud, which is now included with Game Pass, to play the game on their phones uh, with like a controller paired to their phone through Game Pass, which is amazing uh, and apparently runs really, really, really well. So there is a version of this in which you play it on Game Pass and then xCloud stream it to your phone and then you still get to have the wonderful bedtime story Princess Bride experience like I've been having just, you know, through Xbox. I'll say this too. Um, 
on PS4, you can get the definitive edition as well. The, like the version I got is not for sale anymore. Yeah, they took it. So, they took it off the store. Yeah, I, I I hate to say this, and I hate that this is a feeling I have, but I really wish the Switch had achievements. Like something about having <laughs> this game give me achievements when I complete a chapter is something that I like would like. There are in-game achievements and stuff, and I truly don't care about like gamer score or any of that shit. But there's something about achievements that lights up my lizard brain and like i like (laughs) because this is a game that i might just do everything like i might want a platinum or whatever that version on the xbox is. i'm getting close to that feeling too yeah what's nice too is in the series s they like show you as like a like the ps4 always just takes a screenshot when you get an achievement it's always at the worst time like a loading screen or something but in the series s there's like a very like cinematic moment tied to each achievement um and it will also show you the percentage of people who got that which Mm -hmm. is interesting yeah so like am i one of the few people that has ridden over 10 monsters you bet i'm one of the eight percent of people that have done that (laughs) um but i think it's also because game pass is like it's newer there so it's like only some people are playing it right now anyway that's something that's also a trade-off for me i don't know what it is but that's like one of the things i think about when i get something for switch yeah i i I will say i do think that this game being on xbox at all and specifically being on game pass does potentially like shine a flashlight on potentially the future of the franchise and what's coming next you know I, i think i think microsoft and phil spencer like just in general has been very interested in bringing a lot of like classically Japanese franchises over to the West. Um, you know, yeah. like putting up the money to, uh, to localize fantasy star online too. So that could get released on Xbox. I think, you know, them doing the same and making sure the dragon quest 11 is available on the Xbox. And not only that, but they made the deal to get it on game pass at launch when it launched on Xbox is huge and really makes me wonder like what is next for dragon quest and like what is the potential like long-term strategy behind that choice um you know as cool as it is to play it on switch and on ps4 like that was always going to happen it showing up on xbox at all was very surprising to me and also like the fact that like every kingdom hearts game is on game pass final fantasy 7 8 and 9 are on game pass yeah. uh, 12 the zodiac age like i am much more confident that like you know seeing final fantasy 16 make its way to xbox may happen too yeah. like because i think like for a bit it was like a sony exclusive so i don't know i just i think you're right there's a lot both for the future of dragon quest 11 on on xbox or excuse me for the future of dragon quest as a series and it being on xbox is like what you know microsoft is potentially going to have a lot more variety of genre on their system yeah it it makes me dream of a day in which dragon quest 10 you know they do the same thing for that that they did with fantasy star mm. online and they end yeah, up yeah, yeah. putting dragon quest 10 on xbox i would love that love it we should play that together if possible yeah oh my god that'd, that'd be, be great that'd be so fun yeah from what i understand of that game uh which is not a lot but from what i understand from the <laughs> stuff that i'm playing is that there is like an opening that is pretty much like maybe like a half to a third size dragon quest game that you play by yourself before it becomes an mmo oh which is why it's considered still like you know one of the main entries in the franchise and not like final fantasy 14 for example which is just kind of like an mmo offshoot that they put the like big number on yeah which is interesting well it's kind of the case of like any final fantasy they're all kind of in their own yeah they're, all, they're sure. almost at like their own series at a certain point you know yeah. but it, it is interesting cause i was thinking about not to, this is a whole other conversation but like the fact i was thinking about like which final fantasies have really landed for you and the ones that have are the more dragon questy ones like i think final fantasy 12 yeah. is very dragon quest in a lot of ways mm-hmm. 
Um, it's very different in terms of like the aesthetic. It's just straight up Star Wars for one. And the design of the combat is very much on par with like Final Fantasy's constant commitment to change. But I think that like in terms of the pacing and the sort of like bedtime fantasy story vibe of it, it feels very on par with with the vibe you get from Dragon Quest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does. It does make me want to go back and check out some of the other ones. Like nine, for example, is the first is the first Final Fantasy game that you recommended to me. You were like, yeah, when, when I said I want to start playing a Final Fantasy game, you were like, start with nine. Uh, and I, I bounced off of it. And I think if I went back to it, I don't think I would. Yeah, I wonder, like, I mean, that was pretty early on. And I was trying to I was very afraid. I think, you know, any any older Final Fantasy game is the potential of not being a good first one, depending on what you want. <laughs> um, right. I think nine, I recommend it because you had just watched like a lot of Miyazaki and like, at least in the cast and the vibe of that world, it's very much on par with that, which is why mm-hmm. nine is like one of my favorites. I do think it's held back by the combat. Like the combat is just not really enjoyable, but I do think it's, I, I do think it's a good one to start with potentially depending on what your interests are. So I was just trying to, I was trying to, you know, throw you a nice softball yeah. uh, to get you into the genre rather than be like, start with Final Fantasy seven and then play eight backwards yeah. and then play four, then get a subscription to 14. Yeah, no, thank you. It is funny that, so. I mean, like thinking about where we started when we, you know, a couple of years ago started doing this podcast and now like you open up my Switch library and I have, I think, five Final <laughs> Fantasy games on my Switch currently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is pretty wild to me. Should we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. I think we should wrap up. This is really fun. Though. I'm, I'm so glad we got to revisit this. Yeah. A, a nice bonus, non-bonus episode. We've had standard episodes that are largely about one game. Like we had that with the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, where yeah. we did like pre and post spoilers. Um, yeah, yeah it we is have nice managed to, have... to really not talk about the story of this game at all, which I think is probably what will happen if we ever do a bonus episode. Because I desperately want to talk to you about the story in this game. Me too. I think because we don't rarely. I think all the only times we've done this are with Three Houses and Last of Us, where we like kind of talk through like the story beats over. Overall, we yeah. even in spoilers, we almost always kind of have like a more of an overview conversation. But I would love to like go through at least like you know because it is so episodic. We can be like, okay, let's talk about the mermaid arc. Let's talk about yeah. Sniffleheim, I was about to say it's know? like any good anime, or I guess specifically like a Dragon Ball series. Any of pick yeah. any of the Dragon Ball series, uh, it, it is told in arcs like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I would love that and you know talk about all the characters and like we can do kind of a 13 sentinel structure where we can you know talk about them yeah. uh, thank you Eric thank you Eric um, but yeah I'm, I that may depending on how chill I am that may even be possible this month but we will <laughs> yeah it's only January 3rd see. I could I could see myself finishing the epilogue by then my evil power is only growing uh, Brendan yeah. so you know I can I can consume this I don't I, think, I don't know how the game ends you know obviously i haven't done that i haven't finished the post game but i i think from what i've seen so far i think you could make it to the epilogue content that i'm in and just like start it and you would be able to have like we would be able to do like a full spoiler episode um and then maybe yeah. at some point we could talk about the epilogue and how we feel about it but i think i think just playing through the first like hour or two of the epilogue you would have enough of an understanding of like what it's all about to be able to comment on it and like we would be able to do a full spoiler episode that sounds good i, I also like our, our unconscious trend of having like okay here's the spoiler free episode on this and then if you want the like non-chill bonus where we talk about like metachlorians here's that yeah too. yeah 
uh, M count. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's what they started anyway. calling it in Mandalorian. Whenever they refer to midi chlorians, they say M count, and it makes me oh laugh my every God. time. I can't believe they kept that. Anyway, um, we should wrap up. <laughs> Not only did they keep it, they tried to make it cooler and better, and they failed. I love Star Wars. My my gut feeling in the hearing MCAT was to go Shaka when the walls fell, <laughs> which is for you and me and maybe eight people listening. Yeah. Anyway, we should wrap up because we're we're spiraling. Um, but uh, hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, especially you know we we've released a lot of long episodes like in a very busy time of year and have seen the numbers and have seen people like reach out and talk about it we just released um to close out 2020 we released our skyrim bonus episode and like seeing like a ton of people either return or check out skyrim for the first time in the discord or talking about like what mods they're downloading like is this really it's really cool to see even in this time of year like a really active like you're all still listening and 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 enjoying it so i'm just very happy to see that uh yeah thank you yeah we i think we've had more feedback about episodes in the past like a month than we have in a long time it's been it's been yeah. really cool to see people responding positively so thank you so much for all of you who are reaching out and recommending stuff and and um i don't know just what anything any kind of it, contact has been nice um, it means a lot I, i'm really proud of how we how we closed out last year of the show i mean it's still season three our season marker is june but there's still something kind of ceremonious about the goatee episode and like kind of ending a year of you know of of our experience with games and, and each other i'm really excited for what this new year brings and in a lot of ways you know both in and out of the show um i, I joked about age of aquarius but i do feel a little bit hopeful uh for certain things yeah. and i do feel uh just excited for what's on the horizon for the show i mean this year i think we've grown a lot as a show and i'm excited to see what happens next with us and you know with the bonuses we do and the guests we have on and, and all that kind of stuff yeah um, big same Big same. Someone yeah. even recommended, I'll just, you know, because we're being kind of chatty, low key, <laughs> little peek behind the curtain. Someone recommended that, like, I would love to hear you and Brendan talk about, like, an episode just about your favorite video game scores, your favorite soundtracks. I'm oh, like, wow. That's a great idea. Like, I like the idea of, and, if any of you have any feedback, like I, for bonuses, as much as I love doing deep dives on singular games, I'm also totally into the idea of like specific conversations like that, mm. or even for a non-bonus, you know, like that, that could be a cool element to explore. Yeah. Um, because there's so much artistry that goes into a game that like to almost you could have a whole show just about, you know, Akira Toyama's character design or just about the music or just about the battle design. Like there's so many almost different mediums within a game that are worthy of praise and worthy of conversation. Yeah. That'll be cool to play around with that. But I, anyway, I think one of the things that you and I have always wanted to do more on this show is like have more, uh, I think, listener inspired conversations, you know, so like questions like that, I think are perfect. Like, we can yeah. just talk about our favorite scores for you know a segment on an episode or something like i would love to have more conversations like that that are inspired by things that are specifically suggested by you dear listener yeah i mean that's kind of what led to the patreon and to the bonus episodes um speaking of which as always thank you so much to those who back the patreon i saw a bunch of new patrons very flattering um like we say every week if, if back in the patreon at all puts you in any financial strain please do not we will not be offended the show can always exist without the patreon but as we've gone into detail many times um the patreon helps us grow 
helps us do more and helps the bonus episodes be possible. Pay AJ for his hard ass work when we're like, here's we had the gall, or at least I did. I had the gall to tell AJ that the Skyrim was going to be a short one. I'm like, here's a short one, you know, for the end of the year. And, you know, then we talked it's, about it's all the, the equivalent Adra. of saying Macbeth for podcasting. <laughs> here's this. This will be a quick Scottish play. And he's like, you cursed me. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I thought this was going to be a short one, but we sure have been recording for almost two hours already. This is a normal one. Normal. We're usually at 90 minutes, I've noticed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks again for all the support. If you like the show and you want to help it grow, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend who may like it. Honestly, that's that's really the most directly helpful way. Um, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, I've seen a couple new reviews. Thank you to those who took the time to do that. That also is very helpful. Into the cast.online has all our social media pages, our Twitter, which is probably like our main, uh, you know, if you want to keep up to date with like what's going on, that's kind of the main place. Um, you can join the Discord at into the cast.online, you know, our, our medium page, our uh, Instagram, which is all the episode art. It's all there. In terms of what we're doing outside the show, Brendan, I know you're streaming more now. Now. And I took a little bit of a break for the holidays, but yeah, I actually took this week. So the episode that this week or sorry, the week that this episode comes out, I actually took this whole week off to uh, a stream more, a, a lot more Dragon Quest, probably. Oh, um, yeah. And B work on a new show for the network, which is hell yeah, uh, adjacent to Into the Aether. Very excited. So I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited to launch that in 2021. Uh, it makes me very uncomfortable, which is generally the sign that you're doing a good thing. Yeah. As David Bowie says, you should never feel quite ready for what you're taking on. Exactly. You know? And I, I very much do not for the thing that I am trying to do. <laughs> you're uh, going to do great. You're a star. It's the age of Aquarius. And I think that is it. In terms of me, I um, I definitely will try to do one or two more Lester streams to kind of wrap up his story, I think, um, in Skyrim. I'm getting a new laptop within the next couple months. And once I do, I'll be able to stream from other systems. So one of the things I, I talked about this in the, in the Skyrim episode, but I want to do um, a Nuzlocke run of Pokemon Sword eventually. That could be really fun. I'm so excited. So for that. yeah, I, I think, um, I think that will be probably the next project and then uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So that's kind of what I have up in the air in terms of streaming. Yeah, I will, I'll say this much. I mean, I, I won't go too in depth, but the new lineup of Mac computers, real good for streaming. Would, oh, hell yeah. Would recommend. Uh, I got the new M1 Mac mini. I, I think a lot and like read a lot about technology. I don't really talk about it a lot, you know, on this podcast, obviously, but it's, it's been like one of the more exciting things to happen in computers for me for a long time is like this release of this new Mac lineup. Um, and I got the new Mac mini for like my home office setup, you know, cause I'm never going back to the office as far as I know. So I yeah. was like, let me just like actually invest in making like a really nice home office setup. And this thing is so good for streaming. It's like ridiculous, uh, how well Amazing. it worked out. It took some, go it took some like, you know, uh, work, I think, because it, it was like untested and uh, not a lot of information on the internet about it. So I had to like make the information myself and post it to the internet for <laughs> other people to find later. Um, uh -huh. But I will say that it is a, a pretty spectacular device. I'm very excited for you to get this so you can finally stream all the things that you've been wanting to stream for over one year. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. I'm very excited. That's what we have on the horizon. Uh, and with that, I think we're ready to, to sign off. So uh, as always, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Ba -ba 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 <laughs>
Thank you all so much for listening. I was just Thank thinking you. actually recently about um, our uh, our original season two music that we switched to, which then eventually our listeners were like, this is bad. You should change it back. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that music is so Dragon Quest. It is. It's, it's uh, I think everyone was like, this sounds like Christmassy and it was like not at all Christmas. It was a little confusing. Yeah. You know what, AJ, if you still have that around, if not, I can send it to you. Let me know. But maybe maybe play us out with that song so people can know mm. what we're talking about yeah i feel like it, yeah. it's only appropriate for this dragon quest episode <laughs> the original idea was to have a different theme each season but um people like the original yeah, they really did that was like that was like the constant constructive feedback we got was like please change this back to the original <laughs> <laughs> you idiots yeah i get it i get it it's echoes of an elusive age yeah i've always wanted to make a new theme song like from scratch because mm. that one i just got like i licensed it for like 25 dollars from some website somewhere uh yeah but uh, I've always wanted to make a new one. But I don't know. People like that original one so much. I think we should just keep it. Yeah. Why not? Well, f- why fix what isn't broke? Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll see you. Pow. Kaboom. 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 Sap. In the English voice cast, some of the characters will go like, take this. It's rough. Goodbye. Garbage. Nah, I'm mine.